You have reached Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey, a ministry and podcast of the Discover Young Adults Ministry at the Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. We meet at 945 on Sunday mornings, and we have small groups all throughout the week. We are located at Preston Road and Highway 635 in North Dallas. My name is Jacob Hawk. I'm the Young Adults Minister and the host of this podcast. It doesn't matter if you are single, dating, if you want to be dating, if you're married, if you want to be married, or if you're divorced, or if you're trying to figure out at what stage of life you are passing through. At the Discover Young Adults Ministry, we want to help you discover life, discover love, and discover the Lord. If I can help you or serve you in any way, or if I can pray for you, please email me at jacob at pressandcrest.org. Well, I want to welcome you back to Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey. My name is Jacob Hawk, the host of this podcast, and if you are joining us for the first time today, you are catching us right in the middle of a series over the book of Jonah that we started last week in episode 55 that I have entitled, Sent, Swallowed, and Saved. The story of Jonah is a very well-known story, even with people who don't believe the Bible to be true. But since here at Road Talk we do believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, we have even more reason to study it and to talk about it. And today we're going to dive in, no pun intended, to Jonah chapter 2, which is probably the most well-known chapter of the story of Jonah. It tells us about Jonah's three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. Now, there are a few questions that people always want to ask about this chapter. The first one being, what kind of fish swallowed Jonah? And to be honest, we don't know. Our American way of thinking usually equates it with a whale, because a whale is really the biggest fish that we study on earth. But the Bible doesn't say that it was a whale. In fact, the Hebrew text actually describes the fish as a prepared fish for Jonah, implying that God designed and prepared an unusual fish for this special occasion, possibly the only time this type of fish ever swam in the ocean. For all we know, it could have been a goldfish. Anything is possible with God, so we aren't for sure what kind of fish swallowed Jonah. Just call it a Jonah fish. And a lot of people then wonder, well, how did it work? How could Jonah survive being in the belly of a fish for three days? And again, we don't really know that either. I don't know about you. I don't really want to try. All we do know is that Jonah received a three-day, three-night, all-expense-paid-for vacation in the belly of a fish because of his poor choice to run from God. But you know, in my mind, what makes chapter 2 so meaningful is not really the questions about the fish, but it's Jonah's prayer. 
because from the belly of the fish, he calls out to God what he should have been doing in Jonah chapter 1. And it's an incredible prayer that I believe has four very different but very important parts that we're going to chew on together in this episode. We're not necessarily going to go in order. We're going to skip around the chapter, skip around the prayer. So go ahead and have your Bible ready if you have one with you. The first part of the prayer is the submission section of the prayer. And in this first chapter, Jonah clearly understands who he is and who God is. He says in verse 3 that you hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas. Now, wait a minute. I thought the sailors threw Jonah into the sea. And wasn't it Jonah's idea to begin with? Well, the sailors might have physically tossed him, and Jonah might have been the motivator, but it was God's doing. You see, nothing in life takes place without God's approval or God's disapproval. He's in charge. And so Jonah properly says, Lord, you did that. You hurled me into the deep. The same thing there in verse 3. Your waves and breakers swept over me. Everything on earth is God's. He created it. That's his ocean. That's his beach. Those are his waves. His moon that controls the tide. It's all his. And Jonah says in verse 6, To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit. O Lord my God. Jonah is saying, Lord, the only reason I have air in my lungs is because of you. I thought I could do it on my own. I thought I could write my own story. But you're worthy. You're mighty. You are true. And I am nothing. In verse 9, Jonah says that salvation comes from the Lord. Even the description of what happens to the fish in verse 10 points to God's power. Jonah says, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Neither Jonah nor the fish had any control. The Lord was in control. You may remember I said in last episode over the first chapter of Jonah This story is really not about Jonah. This story is about God. Well, here we see God again being the main character. The Lord commanded the fish. And it took this terrible disaster in Jonah's life for him to realize it. We realize that Jonah is in a dark place when he comes to this understanding. But Jonah also prays with adoration. Not just submission, but adoration. And just think about the beauty of these words in verse 2. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Do you think that's true? Does God always hear us? Does God always answer us? The question's yes. Now, sometimes his answer may be no, and sometimes his answer may be wait. And honestly, in my opinion, wait is harder than no. But the Lord always hears and the Lord always answers. How comforting that is. 
And what's interesting is that Jonah says, From the depths of the grave, which is the Hebrew word for Sheol, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Sheol is the Hebrew word for Hades, the afterlife, often called the Hadean world. Some people think that if Jonah says he was in Sheol, that Jonah actually died, which he could have. It makes sense to compare it then to the sign of Jonah, as Jesus does with his resurrection. Jesus died. Jesus was in the tomb for three days. Jesus came back to life. Did Jonah die? And then did he come back to life when the fish vomited him up onto dry ground? I don't know. In fact, in 1891, a British fisherman who was out fishing fell into the water and a large fish swallowed him, and it, in fact, was a whale. His name was James Bartley. And James Bartley survived that because other fishermen saw it happen, and they caught the whale and cut open the whale's stomach, and sure enough, James Bartley was in the whale, still alive. Still alive. Look it up on the internet. But regardless if Jonah was alive the whole time or if he died for part of those three days, Jonah says, God, you heard my prayer. Jonah did not receive or Jonah did not deserve God's attention, but he received it anyway. God cared about Jonah, even though Jonah didn't care about him. What a wonderful God we serve. In verse 7, as Jonah continues to adore God, or I'm sorry, in verse 4, as Jonah continues to adore God, Jonah says, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Jonah is optimistic. He believes in his survival. He envisions himself going back to the temple to worship. We can hear it in his voice. God, you're the God of second chances. I was lost, but now I'm found. I will worship you again. And we hear his thankful spirit in verse 7. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, O Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. How often do we see this in the tragic times of life? Maybe in a hospital room when life is slipping away and beautiful prayers are prayed, and then all of a sudden just peace hovers over the room because we remember the Lord. Jonah has that peace. He realizes that his life was in the middle of the jaws of death, but God loosened the grip because Jonah remembered God. Jonah doesn't just submit in the prayer. Jonah adores God in the prayer. And then the third part of the prayer is Jonah's confession. He prays in verse 8 that those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Someone might say, well, that's kind of random. Why does Jonah bring idols into this prayer? Well, Jonah's speaking about himself. What was Jonah's idol? It was his selfishness, the ultimate idol. He clung to what he desired more than anything else. He wasn't going to be told what to do. He wasn't going to go to Nineveh. His life and his reputation and his security was way too important. And Jonah confesses in the prayer to God that he'd learned his lesson. So many people do this. You know, how much work would get done in the church if we would just let go of ourselves 
and grab onto God. It took the belly of the fish for Jonah to realize how dangerous of a road he was traveling down. So we have the submission, and we have the adoration, and we have the confession. Jonah's prayer ends with a promise. He promises to God in verse 9, But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. That's a pretty bold statement coming from the mouth of a man in the belly of a fish. (laughs) But Jonah says, I'm going to sacrifice. What I have vowed, I will make good. It was the handshake type of agreement. God, you're going to have to trust me on this, but I will do what I say. What Jonah is really saying is, Lord, send me to Nineveh. I don't want to go, but I'm going to do it, and I'm only going for one reason. Salvation comes from the Lord. And it was in that moment when Jonah was vomited onto the dry ground. Not a moment before. He wasn't vomited when the seaweed was wrapped around his head. He wasn't delivered when Jonah said, I know that you heard my cry. No, Jonah was delivered when Jonah told God, Lord, I vow to do what you want. Not what I want. And when Jonah repented, God responded. Now, let's bring all of this into our realm today as we are sitting here on dry ground. You know, like Jonah, because of our sin, we deserve death. But even though we deserve death, God delivers us. Because when we repent, God responds. In fact, Paul described that process directly in Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, when Paul said that because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. So we receive deliverance from the pit of our own sin and our own pride and our own stubbornness and failure, just like Jonah. But here's the thought I think we should consider as we finish Jonah chapter 2. What are we doing with our deliverance? We've been delivered by God if we're in Christ, but what are you doing with that deliverance? Well, Peter says that when we humble ourselves before God, he lifts us up. Or in Jonah's case, when we humble ourselves before God, he hurls us up. But when we receive deliverance, what do we do with it? Most of the time, the best use of our deliverance is doing those things that we naturally don't want to do. If it feels weird, it's probably right. God doesn't deliver us to serve ourselves. God delivers us to serve Him. In that same chapter of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul explains how we're saved, and then he tells us why we're saved in Ephesians 2.10, to go and do good works. In fact, works that God prepared in advance for us to do. So ask yourself, am I doing that? As a delivered person, am I serving God with everything? Am I doing those good works that God prepared in advance for me to do? Since I've been delivered, what am I doing to make sure that others will be delivered? Am I having the courage to speak up with someone about Christ? To offer to study the Bible with them? Some say, well, I just really don't want to do that. Well, who cares? God delivered you so you would do that. Since I've been shown mercy, how well am I showing mercy? 
You know, church people can often be some of the most critical and the most judgmental. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Delivered people are the very ones who should be showing mercy, being kind. Since I've been shown unconditional love, am I doing that? Am I showing others unconditional love? Am I giving them a break? Am I showing just a little bit of grace? Am I being a peacemaker? The list goes on and on and on. What are you doing with your deliverance? Maybe, maybe you need to spend a little bit of time in prayer, submitting and adoring God and confessing to Him the problems in your life. Yes, it's so easy to pray for deliverance, but then to fail to live like delivered people. Friends, we can't make that mistake. Like Jonah, we need to pray to God that what we have vowed we will make good, for salvation comes from the Lord. Whatever you have vowed to do, do it. And as a delivered person, deliver on your word. As always, I encourage you to keep your eyes on heaven, to live as a delivered person, pointing others to the deliverance of Jesus. Have a great day, and I look forward to talking with you next time.